0: Welcome to the AMC Stock Story Podcast. I'm your host, Russell Corey, and this is not financial advice, and I am not a financial advisor. This is solely for entertainment purposes as I talk about my experiences of investing in AMC stock and becoming an AMC ape. Episode 9, My Why. So uh, obviously, if you're an ape, you know this, um, but if you're new to it, every once in a while, people will talk about, well, what's your why? And it's really like, why are you doing this? What's your goal in investing in AMC and hoping for this life changing money? <clears throat> so, what's my why? Well, I'm going to start with two things. First, I'm, I'm not going to be disingenuous. I want to make money. I'm sorry, I just do. Um, I don't apologize for that. I've uh, given up far more for far less than what I hope to make um, with my AMC investment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with making money. Um, And the second thing I want to start with is I've been very fortunate in life. I was born, you know, in the middle class in America. And my parents, um, you know, they were both educated and they worked hard. I, I didn't have to pay a penny for my education. They bought me a car when I graduated from college. And they helped support me when I moved to Southern California, when I moved from North Carolina to Southern California to hopefully pursue a career in the movie industry, starting as a writer and then hopefully becoming a, a director and producer. So I don't have a sob story for you. Both my parents are, you know, alive and well, and uh, you know I'm very fortunate. So um, I've had some, you know, hard things in my life. Who doesn't? But there's, it's nothing. I don't have a story for you like that. Um, so when you say, well, what's my why other than the money? And I've talked before about you know being the Ralph Cramden, uh, being the guy that's his the next idea, this next script, this next book, this next product, this next Kickstarter, um, even this AMC <laughs> gambit, you know, is like the next thing, and they never work out. They rarely do i have i have one podcast the stories for kids podcast and god love them kids tune in to listen to that podcast i don't make any money off of it but i get listeners and in an industry the podcasting industry is still relatively young and a guy like me recording a podcast on his computer can compete with other bigger broadcasters in the podcast industry for you know getting downloads and listeners um so at least I have that. But again, I, I don't make any money off of it. But there's, like, I publish books. Barely anybody ever reads them. But the podcast, if I, if I produce new episodes of that, um, I know every day hundreds of kids will listen to those stories. So that's, that's nice to know. But everything else is, is pretty much been a joke and a failure. So, um, you know, I'm in my early 50s. So imagine that, living your whole life. You know, hey, listen, I'm very proud. I graduated from the University of North Carolina. I take a lot of pride in that. It's just that once I graduated from college, um, it, it's just been kind of a series of, uh, you know, just sort of, you know, okay coordinator type of jobs, project manager type of jobs. Nothing, um, you know, I didn't excel through the executive ranks. Um, I didn't start my own business or anything like that. And, um, it, uh, I, you know, you live in the cubicle world, right? And you keep your head down, you do your job. You, you save some money, you, you can do okay. But for me, who aspired for, you know, bigger and better things, sometimes it's a little soul crunching. And I've had to deal with that. And there's a part of me that says, you know, everything I did in life, everything that has happened, every decision, you know, brings you to the moment you are right now. And I look at the position, let's say AMC does pop goes for $1,000 a share, $5,000 a share, $10,000 a share, $50,000 a share, $100,000 a share. And if there's 20, 26 billion synthetic AMC shorts out there that they created, who knows? Half a million, a million a share? It, the numbers could be crazy. Do I think it's going to get that high? Probably not. No. I think in the hundreds, the thousands, Sure. There's a good chance of that. Um, and could it be more? I hope so. I got into it because of that. So I look at everything that happened in my life. And it's kind of like, you know, George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. He, there's a point, you know, he feels like he's a failure in life. And, we look, and he gets to look back on his life. And he sees all the impacts that he's had on other people's lives. And how he has made the world a better place by his actions. And I look at all the actions in my life, as frustrating as they were, it brought me to a place where back at the end of May, when I heard AMC might be the next um, GameStop, I was able to get in. I had a Roth IRA with money set up in it. i had had the experience of missing out on buying more Facebook, Facebook shares when I could have. Um, so I knew like, hey, this may be another chance and you may get it. So that's kind of my why is you know it's hard to say redemption. This shouldn't be your redemption. My life is my kids. My life is my my marriage and the home we're all building together. That's my life, and that's the most important thing. It's just that eh, you know a few million dollars that that helps. That helps with things. <laughs> so that's my why is I wanna I wanna at the end of the day say you know what. All this other stuff didn't work out, but in this crucial moment, all the decisions I made in my life that led me to that moment helped for a big payoff that, who knows, I I never could have imagined. So that's my why, is this redemption, to feel like, hey, I was right. There's another part of me, you know, my father and my father-in-law, they both invested in, in, you know, AMC, not quite as much as I have, but there's still, you know, money invested, and I want them to, you know get something out of this. And, you know, like, hey, I listened to my son-in-law and things paid off. That feels pretty good. Um, I'll tell you what doesn't feel good when they invest, um, you know, at a certain amount and it goes, you know, almost half of that. (laughs) That's not, or, you know, two thirds of it. That doesn't feel good. It feels terrible. But I think they, they know enough about the situation to understand that it looks like there's some manipulation involved and that that's not you know naturally where the uh, stock should be at. And speaking of where the stock should be at, I'm recording this uh, Monday morning. It's uh, 6.13 a.m. on the west coast. That means it's 9.13 on the east coast. So it's about 15 minutes before the market opens. And the AMC stock right now is $38.23. And i bought a few more shares. And the, the, I do this, I think, every time I think it's about to take off, that this is the last chance to buy shares before it gets 50, 60, 70, 100. And it's just too expensive for someone like me to get on board then. that If I can get in and, in 50 and below, I can try to get on. Above that, it's it's just too much for me. So <clears throat> that's where we're at. And why I did it? I And I just bought some on, I think on Friday, first day Friday. But I did it again because this news broke that the government, looks like the government is finally getting involved. They're setting up um, this situation so these hedge funds, instead of cashing out all their stock and crashing the stock market to cover their shorts on AMC, they can put their long positions in Google, Tesla, you know, Apple um, into this holding thing, and then the government's going to loan them money, they pay interest on that loan. And if they can pay it back, then I guess they take possession of their stocks again. In the meantime, hopefully the stock market doesn't crash. People don't lose their pensions and their 401ks, and we don't have a repeat of 2008. So that's a good sign, and that made me a little bullish. So I went in for one more dip there to buy it. Now, I, you know, I just opened up a Fidelity account, and I, w- I wanted to you know buy Fidelity, but they I have to wait till the market opens, and then I would I usually last time I, I dropped a physical check off at the location, and later that day it showed up in my account, and I was able to invest it. I think it's going to pop pretty big, and that's why I did um, I bought it on uh, uh, Webull, which you can use pre market on that, and and my gut is once the market actually opens, it's going to go up a little bit traditionally it goes up and then it goes back down, and if it, it, with my luck, it usually goes back down to a price that was cheaper than what I bought it for earlier today on, on Libel. However, um, if it does continue to go up, and let's say it does get into the 40s now, and it sits around in the 40s, uh, the 40s become the new 30s, or maybe even touches 50, who knows how today goes if there's fear of missing out money, um, but that's what I did, and that's where the stock is, so it's going to be interesting as, as I continue doing these podcast episodes, again, I'm not going to give you technical advice, financial advice. I'm just talking about the feelings that I'm going through and uh, about being an AMC investor. But I thought it was interesting recording this now. And it's going to be curious to see, you know, where things go. So by the next podcast episode, uh, you know, we'll see if it actually does pick up speed here this week with all these new um, – the government finally, you know, getting involved. Now, um, I think we'll have time – I've talked about being a writer, and I'll I'll, I'll share a story with you about that sort of sums up my writing career. I'd like to think I was a good writer. Um, Obviously, obviously I didn't have the talent to make it based solely on what was on the page. Um, I didn't have the connections, the people in my life that could take what that talent was and then take it to another level. I didn't have the luck. You know, you hear these stories about random luck. Um, that may help make somebody's career. That didn't happen. I didn't have a foothold in the industry where I could make connections necessarily and get in that way. Whatever the combination was, I just didn't have it. And I tried really hard and I really wrote. I wrote, you know, a lot, a lot of scripts. Um, and I had enough talent to get agents, uh, a couple small options, meaning like a producer would take an interest in your script. And they'd give you a little bit of money just so you couldn't sell it to somebody else while they tried to get it set up. And if they don't get it set up and they don't buy your script, you get to keep that option money. Um, So there was a little bit of that. But it was frustrating that I could just never. I don't know if I just wasn't good in the room when I finally got some meetings and just couldn't sell myself or just, you know, just didn't work out. But I want to tell you this one story. So I'd been in Hollywood uh, for a few years and, and, you know, gotten agents and stuff and was struggling and sort of had a down period. But I got this idea um, that I'd been living in L.A. for a while. And every time you go, people are always asking you to do stuff or um, and, you know, take a sample. Or they're, they're in front of the grocery stores and I'm always saying no. And it was just to the point where I was just conditioned. As soon as I saw somebody who was going to ask me something, I would say no. And I thought, God, what if you, you know, what if you said yes to all this stuff? Instead of saying no, I said, you know, one day I'm just gonna say yes to stuff. And I thought, oh yeah, that could be it could be a movie, and you could call it Yes Man. And I was like, wait a minute, that, that is a movie. I got all excited, called up one of my friends who read a lot of my writing, and um and I said, you know, maybe it's a comedy, it and it maybe would be good to have someone that I write it with, because then you say, Well, is this funny? You could rather than, you know, you think it's funny, but someone who reads it isn't. So I I told him this idea and I said, you know, would you be interested in writing it with me? And he said he was. And we worked on it together. And um, we we got our first drafts done. And we, you know, we sent it out. And we got an agent. And agent manager was going to send it around for us. And we're all excited. Now, I went to the University of North Carolina. And there's a lot of University of North Carolina people in the industry. Um, and we were friends with some of them, and you know, we weren't good enough friends that they gave us jobs or gave, give, didn't give me a job, but you know we would play volleyball with them, and we would see them around. And one of, the, one of the people in this group who I used to see occasionally, not a lot, but occasionally, was a guy named Peyton Reed. Now, Peyton Reed, if you're into filmmaking, you might know. Um, he, he was director of Ant-Man, the movies Bring It On, uh, The Breakup, a uh, bunch of movies, but but lately he directed a couple of episodes of The Mandalorian, including the season finale. So that was pretty spectacular. And I first met Peyton, or became aware of him, in the um, early 90s. And he, he was doing behind-the-scenes documentaries of um, uh, like Forrest Gump and Back to the Future. And the Back to the Future documentary was on TV, and I remember taping that and watching it, and talking to him about that. And he was nice enough. I, we, I knew somebody that knew him, and we were, he he arranged a phone call. And I was I was just graduating from college at this point. And I wanted to come out to California, and he had come out a few years before that. And we were just talking, uh, you know, about filmmaking. And we talked about you know this group of Carolina people. And I said, you know, they're they're just going to be like the the USC, the Francis Coppola, and George Lucas, and Scorsese, the movie brats, John millis all these guys that knew each other and, and helped each other out. I said, you know, there's going to be one of those for Carolina people. He's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And, but as we talking, I found out he was a Star Wars fan. And at that point, in, you know, this was like 1991. Star Wars was not a big deal in 1991. It was pretty dead. But a novel had just come out, um, Heir to the Empire. And it just started to make its comeback. But for all practical purposes, Star Wars was dead. But We were talking about, you know, what Star Wars fans we were. And, and everything. So that was Peyton Reed. And, and over the years, we kept up with them. Now, at the time we were writing this script, we and we got this agent, Peyton had just come out with his first real feature film uh, called Bring It On. And it was a surprise success. And it was a comedy, cheerleading comedy. And, and my friend that I wrote the script with my writing partner, we said, hey, we should, ch- we should see if Peyton wants to read this script. Now, the, the problem was, we weren't that good of friends with Peyton that it was like a no-brainer, just, you know, hey, what are you guys working on? It wasn't quite like that. And I would see Peyton occasionally, and and he's a very friendly guy, and we always had a very good relationship um, in that way. Now, it was just in passing. We weren't best buddies or anything, but I would see him, and he was he's always very excited to see you, and it, it's a lot of fun meeting him. So for me, it was kind of like asking for money, that if, if they say no... You know, you it changes the relationship. You know, if they say yes, oh, it's it's great. But if they say no, then you're going to be resentful of that person. I didn't want to be resentful of Peyton Reed. If we asked him to read our script, and I figured at that point everybody was probably asking him to read stuff anyway, um, and, and probably real projects instead of just our little speculative script. And I said no, let's not let's not pursue that. And we we didn't really pursue it. So we never contacted Peyton about our our screenplay. Yes, ma'am. And, you know, we got some meetings with it, um, but ultimately the problem was people kept saying, well, it's too much like liar, liar. We like it. It's just too much like liar, liar. You know, Jim Carrey film where he's the lawyer and he has to tell the truth. And that was sort of the consensus that it was a nice, we got some meetings and a few things other than that came about from it, but nothing major. And it just kind of sat there and eventually it, it died um, and but there was a book, I think, that came out called Yes Man. And and then actually, now here's the great part. Years later, the movie Yes Man did come out. And I'm not saying they stole it from us. They didn't. It, these ideas come. They happen. Somebody else had this idea, and it, it just happened. Um, so Yes Man does come out. It's directed by Peyton Reed. And it's starring Jim Carrey, who starred in Liar Liar. And that's sort of my Hollywood story. That, that sort of typifies that every, all these elements were there. It was a good idea. It just, things couldn't work out. And it's heartbreaking to see, you know, your movie up on a poster. Or you're in a theater and you see Yes Man playing in a movie theater. But it's not your Yes Man. It's someone else's. And and you th- wondered, is there something behind that? Is God sending me a message? Was he? Did he want me to do something else in life? And I said, no, I'm selfishly going to go and be a Hollywood writer. And God said, okay, you want to do that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some writing myself. How do you like this story? So you wonder about those things. And it hurt, but that's life. And you went on. And after a while, I decided I, I wanted a life outside of pursuing a writing career. And that's, when I, and that's where all my energy and focus in life was. And I pulled back. I started dating more. I met my wife. Thank God she married me. Um, you know, we have two kids and, and we decided, you know, we want to be able to send them to public schools. We want to be able to buy a house and we really could didn't feel like we could do that in Southern California. So her family had started moving up to Oregon. So we ended up moving to Oregon too. And and that's where I am right now. We've been here a few years and, and I love it. It's, it's a beautiful state and I like it. And that's where we are. That brings us to this moment and who knows what would have happened. Maybe Yes Man got an option. Maybe it would have been made. Maybe it didn't, you know, whatever. But it happened, and it put me in this you know, position. Um, and maybe the payoff from this AMC deal is going to be far greater than anything I would ever would have made in Hollywood. So I think about that, that that happened. Maybe that happened for a reason. Now, I don't think everything happens in life for a reason. My philosophy is life, life, life happens, and it's up to you. Or people say, well, life... Life, you know, everything happens for the best, right? And I don't believe that. I think life happens, and it's up to you to make the best out of it. And if you do that, if that's your attitude, amazing things can happen. So no matter what happens to you in life, try to make the best out of it. And lo and behold, wow, you know, the best will come out of it. So I'm hoping the best will come out of this AMC uh, short squeeze as I slowly get ready. We're about five minutes away from the stock market opening. And it's slowly ticking up i I bought my uh newest shares at like thirty eight dollars and eighteen cents and right now it's it's like thirty eight forty so my my hope is it takes off and we don't look back. we get into the forties we get into the fifties, and that's it you know by the end of the week, the squeeze is on, and we're all into a whole new life speaking of these odd coincidences that that makes you wonder if what's really going on in life. So after we had um, made the decision to move to Oregon, I got a job, and I I had to leave Disney, who I'd worked for, for 13 years. And I loved, one of my favorite things was when people would come into town, I would give them a tour of the Disney lot, and I was just so, so proud to be able to, you know, share that with people, Um, and it made me feel really special. Even though what I did for Disney wasn't particularly, you know, creative or exciting, just being a part of the company was was a, a big honor. I was very proud of that. So once I had, you know, given my notice and my days were winding down, my son was just about one, maybe a little older than one. And I wanted to give him one, you know, I wanted to show him the studio. And and because he was so young, he wasn't going to remember any of it. So I was videotaping it. So I'm walking around with my iPhone doing like a video selfie, you know, showing him this over here and that over there. And they, on one of the studios, they had a poster for Ant-Man, which was going to come out that summer. And I, I'm holding my son, and I say, oh, hey, uh, you know, Daddy knows the man that directed this. And we walk over, and we look at the poster, and I show him Peyton Reed's name on the poster as the director. And we continue, same, same shot, camera always keeps running. And we start walking down um, this little street in between the studios. And who's taking a break uh, from the editing room and standing on that street corner, but none other than Peyton Reed. And he's, you know, again, like I say, you know, whenever he sees you, he's always excited to see you. He, he has that ability. I heard Bill Clinton is like that, that when you, when you, when you see them, they, they seem so happy to see you. He makes you feel so important. Peyton is like that. When he sees you, he's, he's a very funny guy. And, and um, and um he you know, he's excited to see me. And we, we started chatting. And I told him, I told him, you know, you know I'm, I'm, you know, leaving Disney and I'm moving to Portland. And he, like I said, he was taking a break from editing Ant-Man. Um, so here he was on the verge of, you know, this big Marvel movie coming out. And I say, you know, yeah, I'm moving to Portland. And he goes, I'm so jealous. <laughs> he was jealous because I guess he likes the uh, the Northwest. Uh, but, we, we, you know, we end up talking. And before when I mentioned that, you know, Peyton was a Star Wars fan, and I, I would kind of, you know, I was hoping because he was doing Marvel movies now when Marvel and Star Wars were owned by Disney, I was really hoping he was going to get a shot maybe one day to direct a Star Wars film. Although they, they you know, they, don't, they weren't making a ton of those at the time, uh, but I, really, I was really hoping for that. And I kind of mentioned that to him, like, hey, well, you know, when are you going to get to do a Star Wars film? Um, but that was always in the back of my mind because I knew what a Star Wars fan he was. And so when I was watching season two of Mandalorian, I'd been in Oregon for a few years now. And I, I like I said, I'm not in touch with Peyton Reed at all. Um, it was something where, we you know, we were in a circle of friends and if we would see each other at a UNC get together, it was always very nice to see you, but that was it. We didn't catch up after that. He didn't call me. I didn't text him, nothing like that. So I, I wasn't sure, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on, you know, with Peyton's career at the time. Um, and I'm watching an episode of Mandalorian and there it is directed by Peyton Reed and I was so, and it was the Ice Spider one and I was so happy and and proud for him that he had done a Star Wars project but there was a part of me is like uh you know this kind of, this ice you know spider it was cool but it wasn't really integral to the story it was kind of a one off thing but I said oh that's still pretty cool he he did a Star Wars thing so at the very end I didn't know he had directed the season finale so and if if you've seen it I won't spoil anything it was pretty amazing and at the end of that having all those emotions of seeing the episode itself then seeing Peyton's name you know as the director at the end of it i was just so proud of him and you know so happy in my own small way to to felt a part of that that this was someone i met at the very beginning of my hollywood adventure you know when i was calling people that had gone to carolina and you know getting tips on where to live how to support yourself you know he was there at the very beginning And at the very end, you know, when I finally, um, it had been a lot of years, over, God, I want to say 20 years, uh, over 20 years out in L.A. And I finally decided to, you know, give up and leave. Um, But I had my family and I was going to a better life. It was just time. But when I finally decided to leave Hollywood and bring that part of my life to a close, there was Peyton Reed again. So it was very interesting, you know, how that happened. And speaking of Star Wars and movies, the next episode of the podcast, I'm going to talk about AMC. And I'm actually going to talk about my relationship with AMC because I've mentioned before, I didn't have a relationship with GameStop. I'd shopped it a few times, but the store itself didn't mean anything to me. AMC is different though, and I'm going to talk about that on the next episode.